0: Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 1 because Genesis 1 reminds us of the scientific foundation of our faith. The absolutely trustworthy Bible that we have has an absolutely trustworthy scientific foundation for our faith. And Genesis 1-1 is where I would like to begin this morning because creation is central to the Bible creation science those two go together creation is all about science because science is the observable universe and god is the observer of creation and he recorded the only firsthand eyewitness account in the book that you hold and the creator himself opens the pages of the bible and introduces himself and and that's what's so wonderful about our bibles the gospel of salvation which is in the bible from genesis at the beginning all the way to the end in revelation that gospel is all about a creator who comes to save his creatures made in his image and actually becomes sin for them and becomes the redeemer who died taking their sins that's the message of salvation that the creator from the opening pages of the Bible the creator himself becomes a creature takes upon uh, himself the form and the likeness of mankind and bears our sin that's the wonderful message and with that in mind The first 10 words that open the Bible are in verse 1. And and I want you to think about how significant those 10 words are. Because if we were to ask ourselves, what would be the most important message that anyone on earth could receive? that, That would be, there'd be a lot of different ways we could think about what would be if we had one message to give to everybody on the earth, what would that message be? Well, I believe that foundational to everything that we believe and hold are these first ten words that you see before you in Genesis chapter one and verse one. Those words link to every part of our life. They link to the destiny of our souls. And they are what I like to call the ten most important words in the Bible. Because this is God's entry point to us at the opening of His Word. In order that we never miss those vital words, God put them at the front of the Bible. These happen to be the first words that Jesus and His apostles read at their mother's knee. Do you remember the Jewish education system? Every child was taught how to read and write at their mother's knee using the Torah, the first five books. And so the first little words that Christ and His apostles would have learned to write and learned to speak and learned to say were these ten words. And so this morning as we read them we're listening to the voice of god the son jesus christ the creator as he introduces himself to us let's listen to his voice you follow along in your bibles and i will read these words and then we'll pray and let's listen to the voice of our creator speaking out to us through his word genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth. Wow. Let's bow before him. Father, speak to our hearts. We already sang those words. Now we pause and we ask you to do them. Speak to us about the wonder of you being our creator and the creator of everything that is, that you framed by your words and brought into existence from nothing. Thank you open our eyes to behold your truth from your word and energize us by your grace to obey in jesus name we ask this amen in the last book of the bible and i'd like you to turn now this is a great you're covering the whole bible this morning now go from genesis to revelation go to the back and go to the 14th chapter because i want to point out the sixth verse in just a moment but in the last book of the bible we are at the end of the world As the earth is crumbling, as demon monsters are stalking humans, that's chapter 9 if you want to read an interesting chapter of the Bible, and people are dying faster than at any moment since the great flood of Genesis 6 through 8. So that's the the moment we're at in chapter 14. Demon hordes, people dying faster than they did since the flood when everyone but 8 died. What does God do at that crescendo point of the tribulation? Well, God the Savior... And by the way, that's how God loves to introduce himself, as God the Savior. The book of Titus, over and over, says God the Savior, God the Savior. God is the Savior. And he introduces himself as God the Savior. But he dispatches 24 legions of Jewish evangelists. That's the first five verses of chapter 14 of Revelation, if you're there. Those number 144,000. You've always heard of those. The 144,000 are not the Jehovah's Witnesses cult, the Jehovah's False Witnesses cult. They are are literal evangelists of the true and living God who go out with the gospel message. But God, not only, if that wasn't enough, God dispatches, look at verse 6, another global evangelist. This is an angel that flies around the world loudly telling those who will hear the only hope of salvation. Now, as those people on earth are are being uh, overrun by the tsunami of death and the tribulation god dispatches on the ground the 144,024 legions of evangelists and then in the air all through the air circling the earth is this angel now have you read lately what that angel says look at verse six because i want you to follow along what message revelation 14 6 does god give to people hopelessly trapped on a doomed planet well, if we carefully look at his message of salvation, that message of salvation comes from the perspective of God, the creator, revealing himself to his creatures and telling them of salvation. It's amazing that the Bible opens with the creator and the Bible closes with a message of salvation from the creator. Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel... Interesting how God declares the everlasting gospel. There are many descriptions, many um, modifiers of the word gospel. This is an interesting one. The everlasting gospel to pre- preach to those who dwell on the earth. And by the way, in the book of Revelation, unsaved people are called earth dwellers. There's always a contrast in Revelation, if you read it over and over again, between the saints and the earth dwellers. Those who are, everything they have is here. That's why it's so shaking up when, you know, the, the financial markets and real estate markets and everything goes haywire. If, if this world is your home and this is all you have, and when it, something happens to it, it really shakes you deeply, those are called earth dwellers. The unsaved people are, they only have the earth, and that's what they think about. And then it describes the earth dwellers to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So this angel, uh, is broadcasting live in every language to these people. Look at verse seven. Here's the message. Saying with a loud voice, fear God. remember that's how Solomon ends the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, This is the whole duty of man. Uh, Remember now the creator in the days of thy youth. Remember that whole thing. And then it says at the end, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. It's interesting that everlasting gospel, the fear of God, and the obedience to God. So it says, fear God, give glory to him. And and we already know what giving glory to God is. Do you remember when Achan was about to be stoned by Joshua in the Valley of Achor? He says, give glory to God, confess your sin. Did you know when we confess, we're sinners. When we confess that we have sinned, that we fall so far short of the glory of God that we cannot save ourselves, that God is holy and we are not. When we confess that, it glorifies God that's why we are the confessing church this morning we come to communion confessing that we are those who are recipients of god's grace that we have sinned that we are so short of god's glory and that we do receive his grace so fear god give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him See, salvation is all about worship. Jesus said in John 4, the Father seeks such to worship Him when He was talking to the woman at the well. We also know the Apostle Paul described Christians as those, Philippians three three who worship God in the Spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in their flesh. Religion says you can accomplish something. That's the flesh saying I can do something good that God has to accept. True salvation is i worship god energized by his spirit i rejoice in christ jesus and i know i can't save myself and so you you see the everlasting gospel is here in this angel's message fear god give glory to him his judging hour has come worship him but who is the object of our worship look at verse 7 revelation 14 worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water the creator that's why it's so important that's why the book that is absolutely trustworthy must have as its foundation the scientific reality that god is a creator and that since he's the only eyewitness we have to by faith hebrews eleven three. through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear as Hebrews eleven three says, and verse 6 says, but without that faith, it's impossible to please him. You see that creation is at the heart of our salvation. Well, God has spoken, and before each of us this morning are not only the crystal clear details in the opening day of the cosmos, that's Genesis 1 and 2, but also in this book, only two chapters are devoted to the creation account. All the rest has in it our creator's personal revelation to his creatures about everything else we would ever need to know not everything there is to know but everything else we need to know all things that pertain to life and godliness are in this book everything we need to know god's word is the doorway to life as god intended it to be you understand that we try and live life our own way we fail we can bump along We can make it for a while, but we do not live life the way God intended it to be. Remember, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life, John 10, and have it what? More abundantly. He said that out of us would flow rivers of living water. Did you know you and I are supposed to be like drinking fountains on all the time in the Sahara Desert? That's what the world is like. People are dying of thirst spiritually, and we're supposed to be rivers, As it says in John chapter 7, rivers of life-giving water. And Jesus explained that's the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. And so that's what God intended life to be. So Genesis is the start of the pathway to the divinely revealed secrets of everything we need to know. What are some of those secrets? Well, how to live forever. That secret's in John chapter 10 how to live forever you know Ponce de Leon you know the whole fountain of youth thing and all that how to how to never die boy that Ponce didn't even know what he was looking for it's already here 2,000 years before 1,500 years before him Jesus said if you come to me you will never die whoever lives and believes in me John 11 will never die and then Jesus said do you believe this See, the secret to live forever. Secondly, how to have a joy-filled marriage. I mean, the majority of people on the planet will at some time or other be married. And, and marriage is not just to be endured. It's not just a legal contract. It's not just split the expense thing. It is the, the pathway to a joy, endless joy-filled marriage is in the Word of God. And Proverbs 5 is one place that's described. How to experience real love. You know, people are searching everywhere for love. First Corinthians 13 says how to experience real love which by the way the key to first Corinthians 13 is it's a reflection of Christ that's that chapter is just a, a portrait of Christ how to be prosperous and successful is Joshua 1 God says if you want to prosper in anything you do then let my word fill your life so that it just flows through your mind all the time and you make decisions based on my word how about how to never fear the future john 14 the lord said don't let your heart be troubled don't be troubled don't be anxious don't fear the future in fact jesus's most repeated words two words that he repeated the most are fear not in fact the most repeated negative prohibition in the Bible is not you know drink not smoke not commit immorality not it's fear not. Do you know what the most prevalent sin humans get into is fearfulness. We just fret over everything. I mean we just we're marked by anxieties and fears. That's why God over and over says fear is not from me. It's the devil's playground. Fear not. I say faith over fear. Trust my word. So how to never fear, John 14. How to conquer any and every bondage. Uh, that's in Hebrews 2. Jesus came to set us free, to destroy the power of him that bound us in Hebrews 2. So the immense God, who is vastly beyond all that exists, who has always been, before the universe began, has revealed himself in this book. I mean, that alone should make it something that you just can't put down. You know, my kids are, uh, I love, we're, we have eight children, and I know you know that, but i just tell you again, because it reminds me of Lucy. Do you remember that movie, yours, mine, and ours? I have eight children. I have eight children. Do you ever watch that? I love that movie, because we have eight children, you know, and, and but we've watched them all grow, and what's neat is when they first start reading, and they can't, you know, they just stumble along, and all of a sudden, they can't stop. Uh, we, we were riding to the airport, taking my daughter to uh, Honduras yesterday, and, and in the car, it was so quiet, and I looked in the rearview mirror. Everybody has their books out. you know. And you have to say, you guys, it's time to eat. Put those books down. Do you ever have that experience with this? Has that happened to you yet? Does your wife have to say, honey, can you put the Bible down? We're going to have supper. Honey, can you put the Bible down? The game's about to start. You're going to miss it. it. Does that happen around your house? <laughs> I mean, do you have to say to your kids, you know what, the, the why, or we, or why, or whatever that thing's called is rusting in the corner. We paid thousands for it. Put the Bibles down. Go play that thing, you know? Does that happen around your house? I bet it does. If, if you understand that the infinite God has revealed himself. I mean, people love all these Indiana Jones things, you know, conquering and finding all these mysteries. The real secrets, the real treasures are Here. And the only way they're unlocked is when we allow the Spirit of God to open our eyes and listen to the voice of the infinite God. You know, the awesome Creator who attested to His might by the countless stars He made, the galaxies and mysteries of the cosmos out there, has opened up His mind for us to explore. This is God's mind. It's it's His thoughts. It's His revelation of Himself to us. And He said we should search it For him in this book like we search for treasure and we should dig for it like gold the endless of days who sees us as we are frail as dust fleeting as shadows he has placed before us his eternal word and we can have it we can hold it we can love it and we can live his word and he said that's how i designed you that's that's how you were made to be Yesterday we were driving back from the airport and we were playing an old CD of Bonnie's mom and dad who sent her a tape when she was in college and her mother was dying of cancer. And my daughter's, or son, somebody digitalized it onto a CD and so we pop, popped it in. We were listening and her dad was saying, Bonnie, your sister Terry's car is making terrible noise. So I lifted the hood and checked the oil and she said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm checking the oil and there's no oil in here. And he dumped in two quarts and it didn't even show on the dipstick. And she said, the noise went away. Well, you know, cars were designed to have oil in them, but her sister never knew that 20 years ago and never checked, never put it in. And and that's how people go through life. People go through life making all kinds of noises. They're just ready to just have a a seizure, you know, they're like an engine seizing up because they don't have the oil of the word of God and the spirit of God living within them. And that's what God wants. For God has written down exactly how the universe in totality and each of us humans individually came to be. And that's the content of the authoritative, absolutely trustworthy Bible and of the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. So we have a choice. Either we take God at His word or we do not. Either we believe what Christ and His apostles and prophets believed and taught and have a Bible we can trust. Or we do not. Either we believe his direct, immediate, and quite recent creation of this world and the surrounding universe, or we do not, because that is how the Bible is postured. And either you adjust it, you ever get into somebody's car, you're driving it, or ever have someone borrow your car and they change everything er, the mirror and er, er, and the seat and they get it all different. I can always tell when my kids use my car, they've got the seat too far forward, leaning, and they do all these things. That's what people do to the Bible. They adjust it. That's okay, you can adjust a car. It's made to be adjusted. The Bible is not, okay? It's God said, this is how it is. Either you take it or you leave me because I'm the creator and I have spoken. Well, before you dismiss creationism as an impossibly unscientific notion, consider the facts of science which we may describe as the designer-dependent features of planet Earth, okay? Okay. Uh, this is my premise, okay? Scientifically, mathematically, and statistically, there are not enough stars in the universe to have planets near them to statistically have another planet like Earth. Okay, and I'm going to show you what I mean by, by, it's the you can look this up, it's called the anthropic principle. It's the fact that the Earth is absolutely designed in every way for human life. And, and it's mathematically impossible for another planet out there to have all these things without divine intervention, okay? And let me show you what I mean. There are less, this is astronomy, there are less than a trillion galaxies in the known universe. Each galaxy has about 100 billion stars. So the entire known universe has less than a trillion times 100 billion stars, that could have a planetary system so there we go there's the this is the you put everything on the table that's all the pieces we have uh trillion galaxies are less than a trillion with 100 billion stars in each one and we're looking for a planetary system that can have life scientists of our world have observed the parameters of life these are the ingredients that must surround us so we can live here on earth do you remember the Chinese just sent astronauts up they had to study exactly what it takes to maintain life off the surface of the earth. And you have to surround those astronauts with that. The same thing is true when we did our space program, you know, 40 whatever, I don't remember how many years ago, the manned space program started, what, 46 years ago in 62 or maybe before that. And so we had to see what the parameters of life are so that life can exist off this planet. And so scientists have have found the elements, the parameters. And there are hundreds, probably thousands of different elements that are needed to sustain human life on earth. But let me just list off enough elements that are so complex and so reflective of divine design, they could never have happened. Now you've probably never even thought of this. That you and I are alive, for example, because of the axial tilt of the earth. Did you know if the axial tilt was different, life could not exist on this planet? Uh, Many other things. Let me just list them off for you. Life on earth is tied not just to the surface, but to the sun, the moon, and the galaxy that we're in, as well as our planet. The following are the minimum parameters of a planet, of its moon, if it has one, of the star that's near it, and of the galaxy it's within, that must have values falling within a narrowly defined range for life of any kind to exist. Okay? All of these... All of these elements have to be present for life to continue on Earth. Number one, our solar system is an amazingly, precisely, and perfectly designed system for supporting life. For example, consider the number of stars in our planetary system. If there was more than one, the tidal interactions would disrupt our planetary orbit. In other words, if, if we were in a binary system, it, our planet would be disrupted by the gravitational tug of those two stars. If there was less than one, there would no, be no heat or light that we would need. So if we were just some planet out there with no solar system, it, we wouldn't have life. Now think about our sun. It's amazingly, precisely, perfectly designed for supporting life. The age of our sun. If this sun was older, the luminosity of the star would change too quickly. In other words, it would dim. It would be getting down. Uh, If it was younger, the luminosity of the star would change too quickly. It would be, a younger star is just, you know, the, the thermonuclear reaction within would just be bursting forth like this and and it would be too much for us to exist. How about the mass of our sun, the totality? If it was greater, the luminosity of the star would change too quickly and it would burn too rapidly. If it was less, the range of distance appropriate for life would be too narrow. The tidal forces would be disrupted. The UV radiation would be inadequate for plants and animals. So the the very size of our sun, if you look at it, it's not just just one of 100 billion times one trillion that that we could have it's exactly right for life the size the age how about the color if our star was redder the photosynthetic response of plants would be insufficient to maintain life if it was bluer the photosynthetic response would be insufficient for life so it's exactly we call it a yellow star that's not just an accident we have to have that for life. How about the, the total luminosity relative to speciation? If it increased too soon, it would develop runaway greenhouse effect. We would, we would just get too hot here too fast. If it increases too late, it would develop runaway glaciation. If we didn't have enough light and heat from the sun, it would be overrun by glaciers, or we would be kind of like Venus you know, is today, and we'd all be uh, in the pressure cooker. But get away from the sun. Let's look at Earth itself. Earth is amazingly, precisely, perfectly designed to support life. First of all, our surface gravity—that's the escape velocity for things to leave. It's perfect for life. If the escape velocity was stronger, our atmosphere would retain too much ammonia and methane, and we would all kind of be like, you know, when you're you're uh, cleaning with cleaning things, you know, and the comes up and it kind of makes you cough. The whole planet would be like that if the surface. Uh, uh, gravity or the escape velocity was too strong. If the, the surface, uh, gravity was weaker, our planet's atmosphere would lose too much water. The water vapor would, would be able to drift off out into space and we would slowly dry out. How about the distance from the sun? The Earth's distance from the sun is perfect. If we were further away, we would be too cold for a stable water cycle. If we were too close, it would be too warm. We would just be in, in kind of a, um, steam bath how about i mentioned the axial tilt it's perfect for life if the tilt was greater the surface temperature differences would be too great if the tilt was less the surface temperatures would be too great you understand it it, either way that you do the exact angle that the earth you know when when the kids have the globe and you see it on that little little bit of an angle if you have a properly done globe of the earth it's on that axial tilt not accidentally God placed us out there with that. How about this? The rotational period of the earth is perfect for life. If it took longer to rotate, the diurnal temperature differences would be too great. If shorter, the atmospheric wind velocities would be too great. I mean, you think that an F5 is bad. We'd have F10s if if there was a different rotational period how about the magnetic field that that uh, the further northerners see the aurora well that magnetic field is perfect for life if it was stronger our electromagnetic storms would be so severe it would kill life on the planet if we had a stronger magnetic field it would be like it would just be no one would be able to escape the the electromagnetic storms if it was too weak the ozone shield and life on the land would be inadequately protected from hard stellar and solar radiation too much would get through that magnetic field it's almost like our force field that keeps out the bad stuff but if it was too strong it would cook us if it's too weak we'd get cooked and then I'll just skim these. The thickness of our crust, how much oxygen is, is uh, kept, is exactly perfect. The inclination of orbit is perfect. Our albedo, that's the reflected light, and how much reflects off the surface of the earth is exactly perfect. The oxygen to nitrogen ratio in the atmosphere is perfect. If it was larger, if there was more uh, nitrogen, the life functions would proceed too slowly. If smaller, advanced life uh, functions would... Ad- would go too fast so it's kind of like god just exactly tuned this earth for life the tilt the thickness of the crust even even the distribution of the continents did you know that affects our weather and and if the continents were were primarily in the southern hemisphere instead of the northern hemisphere do you ever notice they're all around the top The continents, there's a few down here, but they're mostly bulked up here. If they were down in the bottom, it would change the whole Earth and the weather. Isn't it amazing that they all just happen to be in the right place? The the seismic activity is perfect for life. The global distribution of minerals, the gravitational interaction with the moon. Can you imagine if the moon was bigger? Why the 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 ocean tides would just sweep across the continents, and and it's just the right size, just the right distance. So. Each of these 23 parameters I just listed cannot exceed certain limits without disturbing a planet's capacity to support life. So just in these elements, if we just took those that I just listed, probably, if any one of them were off, life could not exist. But there are dozens of other parameters. The atmospheric transparency... The atmospheric pressure, the temperature gradient, the greenhouse gases, the location of different gases and minerals, the mantle and core constituents and structures, all of these are being studied by scientists because the more they look at this planet, the more they see everything from the soil to the depth, to the mantle, to the core, to the way that the core operates, to everything as far as the makeup of all the ingredients of our atmosphere, all of those things are necessary for life to be tuned just exactly. So just on the basis of these few I've listed, what are our chances of finding a life-supporting planet out there in the one, tri- a little less than one trillion galaxies with 100 billion stars in each one? Well, we can say with nearly statistical and mathematical certainty that only much fewer than a trillionth of a trillionth of a percent of all stars could possibly possess without any divine intervention a planet-capable setup, okay? Less than a trillionth of a trillionth of a percent. You got that? A trillionth, a trillionth of a hundredth. We are in a lot of zeros there. Considering that the observable universe contains less than a trillion galaxies, and each has less than 100 billion stars, we can see that not even one planet would be expected by natural processes alone. To contain all these necessary elements. And I only gave you 23. There are more. But do the math on just the 23, all having to be within those narrow, narrow uh, windows. These factors would seem to indicate that our galaxy, our sun, this earth, and our moon, in addition to the universe, have undergone divine design. If divine design is essential to explain the properties of simple systems like the universe and the galaxy and the solar system how much more necessary is god's involvement in explaining systems as complex as us i mean we're hard to tune up i mean when the doctors start tinkering you know they give you a little something to thin your blood and then you start bleeding everywhere so you got to get so tune it back a little bit you know or they they're always that's why they call it the practice of medicine Right? I have been practiced on a lot, you know, and uh, don't get me on my medical stories. I mean, oh boy, could I. uh, I did see something, though. I was getting one of those tests, you know, where they get you in the little gown, you know, and you go and lay in the tube and go, you know, whatever that's called, MRI or something. You know, it's so embarrassing. Those things don't shut in the back. And so I was holding mine like this, and they had a dressing room, and you had to cross the hall and go in and get in your tube. And so I was looking over the door of my dressing room, you know, to see the hallway, coast being clear. And just as I looked out, this lady came out of her little cubicle. She was far too big for that little thing, you know? And so she knew it too. And she was going like this, scooching along the wall. And she got up and she felt the doorknob. And she pulled that door and backed right in i could see it said waiting room (laughs) oh it was so funny and in the ensuing uh sounds i across the hall and got right into my mri room (laughs) so the lesson of that is watch out what you back into okay Uh, but we are complex organisms and that's why the scientific accuracy of the only eyewitness account of creation is so vital Within the words of the Bible, God has spoken. His word is true. Everything encompassed in this book is true because it came from the creator himself. So what response should we have? Well, we should realize that Genesis is the foundation for everything. If Genesis 1 is unreliable so is every other part of the scripture. And let me show you what I mean for just a moment. Look at Colossians. Let's go to the, you're in Revelation, back up to Colossians chapter one, because I want to just give you a few points for you to ponder, to, to encourage your faith. Either you trust the God you meet in Genesis one, or you have nothing else. Why? Because Colossians one, if you look at verse 15, tells us the doctrine of inspiration. That's one of the Fundamental doctrines of the Bible. It's inspiration, how we got the Bible, the transmission and the recording and the accuracy and the authenticity of it. The doctrine of inspiration teaches us that it was the Creator in Genesis 1 who wrote the Scriptures. He didn't just create the world in Genesis 1, He's also the author of the book. Look at Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him, all things consist. So Colossians one says that Jesus Christ is the creator. Okay, now turn to Hebrews chapter one. So go to the right. Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. There we go, chapter one. Because the creator in Genesis is the one who wrote the scriptures, okay? It says in Hebrews one, verse one, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world's. Jesus Christ, the creator of creation of Genesis 1, is the one who made all things, and he is the one who is the heir of all things, and he is the one who has spoken to us through his word. In fact, Peter put it this way the Spirit of Christ, who is in the prophets, spoke through them. It was Jesus Christ inspiring by the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament prophets, and it's Jesus Christ who spoke through the New Testament apostles. So, Jesus. The creator wrote the scriptures. Secondly, Jesus is the one. Look at verse three of Hebrews chapter one. The doctrine of the deity of Christ teaches us that it was the creator in Genesis. He is the one who died for us. Verse three, who being the brightness of his glory, still Hebrews 1 3 is still talking about Christ, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. So the creator, that the creator of, of Hebrews 1, uh, verse 1, is the Redeemer of Hebrews 1.3, who is the creator of Hebrews 1-2. So we've got Redeemer, Creator, and the the one who has revealed himself through the word all in just three verses he is god the son the creator who authored the bible who died on the cross you see it's all tied together you can't undo it it's kind of like um you, you get some complex uh uh you know electronic gizmo and you open it up and you take out one part and you say well i just took out one part yeah but the whole thing won't work anymore because when you take out one part it's all interconnected that's how the bible is that's how the creator the redeemer and the revealer and so salvation teaches us and and let's this is our our, uh, tie to let's see romans chapter 5 real quick romans 5 back up a little bit more i'm sorry to make you back up i usually go the other direction but we're backing this morning Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Because I want you to see this. The doctrine of salvation teaches us that the creator of Genesis is the only one who can die in our place. See, the Bible has set up such an intricate plan of salvation that only the creator, becoming a man, could die for the sins of the world. And that's the content of Romans five twelve through 15. It says in verse 12, Therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin verse 13 for until the law of sin was in the world but sin was not imputed when there is no law verse 14 nevertheless death reigned from adam to moses now obviously paul thought the first man was named adam and death reigned from adam the man through which sin entered the world, through Moses. So see, his, his way of, his worldview was that a creationistic one. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. Verse 15. For, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Do you see how Paul crafts the doctrine of salvation? He said Adam, the first Adam, the first man sinned, and that caused sin to pass through the whole human race. And Jesus Christ, notice what it says in the likeness of Adam. He he died. He was in the likeness, he was human, but he was without sin. Jesus didn't sin, he became sin. That through his death, we might be made the righteousness of God.